Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Our reading today comes from Acts 13, 1 through 3, and Acts 15, 35 through 41. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. But Paul and Barnabas Barnabas remained in Antioch, and there with many others they taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. The word of God for the people of God. Morning, everyone. How are y'all? I'm Brittany. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm uh, like an old person in a rut. I have to have this stand to preach from, so forgive the... I don't know what that is. It's not like lucky, but it's the angle. It's the angle. So, uh, Before we begin, let's uh, start with prayer. God, thank you for the gift of this community that can hold such a powerful testimony from Michael. Thank you for the ways that you move in each of our lives. Open our ears to the the work of your words in the scripture that we've heard today. Open our hearts and minds and lives that we might be met by you. Open my mouth that I might share your vision and your hope for us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when, uh, not Chief Justice, I keep wanting to call him Chief Justice, when Justice Scalia died a couple of months ago in February, the headlines were abuzz with activity. Some were singing his praises as a virtuous man of conservative values, Others were saying good riddance and celebrating that the wicked witch was dead. 
I heard somebody call him a wicked witch. Um, I remember seeing some pretty vile comments on my Facebook feed. One of my Facebook friends, and I use that word loosely, um, you know, Facebook friends, right? But one of my Facebook friends actually said they were celebrating his death and they hoped that he was rotting in hell. And it was in that moment of reading that sort of status update that I thought, wow, we have a really hard time with conflict in our, in our midst, don't we? We have a really hard time when, um, when there is a controversial issue and we do not see eye to eye with other people. We, we vilify them. Scalia was a controversial figure, and um, there are, are many statements that he made that I vehemently disagree with. Um, but I wonder what the appropriate response is to him. How do we engage in conflict in this world? How do we, um, and, and is there something in particular that we are called to do and be as people of God, as Christians, as people who profess um, a, a belief in the risen Christ? Does that call us to be in community in a different way? This is what I want to talk about today as we um, continue on with this sermon series called FaceTime, How to Overcome Loneliness Together, because when we spend time with people face-to-face, conflict will happen. It is not a matter of if it will happen, it is a matter of when it will happen, right? The, the inevitable result of people being in community together is that we will come into conflict. It's just the law of who we are as Christians. Right. As actually not as Christians, as just people, humans. So one of the stories back to Scalia that came up um, when I was reading about his death and thinking about him was the fact that he is best buddies with Justice Ginsburg. Now, for those of you that don't know who either of these people are, let me break it down for you. If this is if this stage were um, like a, a scale of conservative values. To liberal values, Justice Scalia is like off the stage, and he is like over here in the sort of beacon of um, uh, conservative values, right? He is the like entity of of all of that. And then over here is Justice Ginsburg. She is a staunch liberal, right? And so it is kind of crazy to think, and she called him best buddies. Best buddies. Um, they they did not let their intellectual disagreements interfere with their personal relationship. When I say they're friends, I'm talking more than like, oh, we work together and so we eat lunch together on occasion. You know, right? Like, I'm talking like they spent every New Year's Eve together. They celebrated the New Year's together. They um, there's this great picture apparently in one of their offices. I forget of. Um, of them, they went to India together, and Scalia in front riding an elephant, and Ginsburg behind. And she made note that it was not because of her view on women, just the balance of the elephant. She had to be on the back. Um, but they, like, they vacationed together to India and Europe. They were friends, friends, right? And yet, they differed greatly in these ideologies. What brought them together is that they were bonded over opera, so apparently opera does that in relationships, and a reverence for the Constitution 
and the institution that they served, a reverence for the law and the Constitution. Right? They knew that actually arguing together was going to make them, arguing against each other was going to make them better at their job, was going to help them sort of be more rooted in their positions. Right? They could be generous with one another. They knew that they could hold different views together because something bigger was holding them together, and that was their love of the law. Now, unless we're certain people, our friendships are probably not bound together by our love of the law, right? Like, maybe there's some of you law lovers out there that get together with all other law lovers, and you're like, yes, it's so beautiful how we come together. No, okay. <laughs> but I do wonder if there's something within us that holds our friendships together, that binds our friendships together something that is bigger than ourselves. As Christians, I think, as Christians who are in relationship together, we are bound together by our baptismal covenant. A baptismal covenant that we sang about earlier that, that calls us to serve Christ in every human being that we meet, even when we disagree with them. And I I don't want to just like be overly Christian-y. I think that um, if you if you sort of make this bigger, it is a call to see the love of God in every person, right? So whether you are with uh, somebody who also is professes faith in Christ or whether you are with somebody of a, a different faith or no faith, it, our call, our, our bound together is to see the humanity, the love of God in other people. Right? And this is difficult, 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 but holy work. So I want to turn to our scripture to see how two great men of faith handle conflict. Many of you know Saul, Paul. We, we heard about him a couple of weeks ago. I, he was called Saul at first, and then when he met Christ, changed to, to Paul. So I'll, I will use those terms interchangeably. But we don't always know a lot about Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul, their ministry partnership began, their, their partnership ministry began as a beckoning of the Holy Spirit, where we saw in the first scripture reading of Acts 13, where uh, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then the teachers and the prophets and the community leaders lay hands on them and they send them off in ministry partnership. But before this very powerful anointing that we read about, um, their relationship began actually a little earlier. Their relationship began with Barnabas believing in Paul. Um, if you re do remember a couple of weeks ago, um, Aaron James Brown, our director of discipleship, preached about Saul's conversion. He was the chief terrorist, the chief persecutor of Christians, right? And then he was met on the road to Damascus by a risen Christ and blinded. And so you heard the story about Ananias, Ananias healing him, right? Taking, bringing his sight back. Um, but he turned into the chief champion of Christianity. The problem was, nobody trusted him. Right? I mean, look at where he had been and what he had done. And so it was Barnabas, Barnabas whose name means the son of encouragement. It was Barnabas who took Paul under his wing and introduced him to the apostles and said, no, look, this guy, he's for real. He's for real. He's laid his life on the line. He has 
preached the gospel at great peril to himself, he's not pretending. He's not waiting for you to relax and then he's going to catch you. This guy's for real. And Barnabas did that. The son of encouragement did that, I think, because he knows that we worship a God of second chances. right? Second chances, third chances, fourth chances, however many chances you need. And so Barnabas took Paul, mentored Paul, was the senior person in this relationship, which actually sounds a little weird because Paul's the person we know about. He's the one that wrote all the epistles, right? But it was Barnabas that believed in a God of second chances and took Paul under his wing and said, he's for real. And since that day, since that day and the anointing of their partnership in ministry, they went through so much together. Here's your homework, y'all. If you want homework. If you don't, it's okay. No shame. Read Acts 13, 14, and 15. Whoo, they go on a ride. There's a lot of action that happens in Acts, which is kind of where the name comes from, Acts, action, right? Um, the Acts of the Apostles. So there's a lot of stuff that happens in those chapters. So read them, enjoy it. I want to give you just a taste of a couple of things. Uh, they went on this one trip to Cyprus. And there was this false uh, false prophet called uh, Bargesus. And uh, they end up preaching in such a way that uh, Bargesus gets put in his place and the governor of Cyprus is converted. Right? So really cool, right? They do great things like that. On another one, though, not all of their ministry that they were anointed for was successful. On another uh, trip, they were in this partnership and preaching the radical message of God's inclusive love. Back in the day, they were preaching it like, hey, we love, we love Gentiles and we love Jews, right? But you guys don't get what that means. I mean, or at least you sort of do. Nowadays, it would be like, we love gay, we love straight, we love cis, we love trans, right? We love whatever, name controversial stuff. And so they were preaching this inclusive, radical love of God, and they got booted out of town, right? People were like, no, we're not hearing that. Or on another trip, uh, they were well-received, actually, super well-received. The town, again, because Barnabas was the senior partner in ministry, the town, uh, they threw a parade in the, their honor. And the town uh, names uh, Barnabas Zeus, like Zeus God, right? And names uh, Paul Hermes, like the junior God. And they're, like, throwing this parade, and Paul and Barnabas are having this great time, like, hey oh. And then they realize, like, they're getting ready to do a sacrifice for Paul and Barnabas um, because they thought they were so awesome. And they're like, wait, 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 we've got, you've got this wrong. We're not God. We are preaching on behalf of the living God. And the people didn't like that, and so they beat up Paul, gave him a concussion. He passed out. They drug him out of town. See, you've got to read Acts, right? Um, and so the next day when um, he came back to consciousness, Paul and Barnabas escaped with their lives. Lots of interesting stuff that they did together. A great, and you know, friendships, you bond over this kind of stuff. The victories and the defeats. And besides all of these adventures, Barnabas and Paul did another thing together really well. They had an eye for developing leaders for the church. They would handpick people who they knew could build up the kingdom of God, and they would pray for them and send them forth. Oh man, God used God, uh, Paul and Barnabas to throw open the doors of faith for so many people and nations. It was a beautiful friendship. 
And it went on like this for like 14 years. But then you know what happened, right? Conflict. Conflict came. As it does in any relationship. Any relationship. Even relationships, and I say this because sometimes when people are married, they think, oh, we'd ask God to bless this. It's going to be fine. Even relationships that have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, there's still conflict, right? It's still hard. So uh, they disagree. That's actually a really mild way of saying it. That's the like polite, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant way of saying it. They had a disagreement. Actually, the better way of saying it is that they were vehemently and passionately opposed to any sort of compromise. They were angry at each other. They were slamming stuff back and forth. They were. It was this huge argument. There was no politeness in this argument. It was a battle because the stakes were high. This was a mission about Jesus Christ in the world, and there could not be any compromise. And so here's what the argument was. Uh, here's what the argument was. So Barnabas says, we're going to take John, John Mark on this mission. John Mark's going to go be great. And um, Barnabas, Barnabas says this because even though John Mark deserted them on another mission, remember he's the son of encouragement, he's the one that believes in a God of second chances, right? And so he said, no, we're going to take John Mark on this mission. It's going to be great. And Paul says, hell no. John Mark is a deserter. And we're talking about the mission of Jesus Christ in this world, and we need people that are not going to bail on us. We need people that we know will make it through the journey. The stakes are too high. Because we're talking about offering people healing and hope and wholeness. We're talking about this inclusive love that people are longing to hear. And we cannot take people that we know halfway through when the going gets tough, when you get knocked unconscious, are going to desert us. Who's right? I don't know which side I'm on, y'all. Conflict. And so they could not compromise. They could not find a way to compromise and find a way through. And so they do something that's hard, but also helpful in this situation. They part company. Now, there's not a lot in this text, not a lot at all. But notice it doesn't, it just says they part company. Notice it doesn't say that Paul ghosted Barnabas. Does everybody know what ghosting is? Do I need to break it down? I, I had to look it up myself. Um, ghosting is when you're hitting it off in your relationship, and then suddenly something happens and you just pretend like the other person doesn't exist. You don't respond to text messages, you don't respond to emails. When If they walk in the room, you, you don't acknowledge them, right? Am I getting it right? It does not say that they did that. Has anybody ever been ghosted? You don't have this. You don't have the answer. But if you want to, you can. I didn't ask if you ghosted. Yeah, right. You're good, right? You can be vulnerable. Notice it doesn't say that Barnabas belittled Paul and said he wished he'd never mentored him. He wished he'd never given him a second chance that he was worthless scum and he didn't deserve to be proclaiming the gospel. 
Notice it doesn't say that Paul sent a covert mission after Paul after Barnabas's mission to try to mess them up and get them in trouble and make sure they fail so that Paul could look good. Are all of these has anybody handled conflict in any of these ways? You don't have to say anything. It simply says they parted ways. They acknowledged that they had different ideas about how to live out their ministry, but they also acknowledged that they would both be doing the good work of God in this world. And so they gave each other permission to have different ideas on how to do that, and they parted ways. I wish we had more information. You know, we have information from Paul. He, um, we have all these letters. He barely mentions Barnabas in his letters. He, I think he mentions it three times in Galatians and Corinthians, and it, it's sort of like, you can see he, Barnabas mentors Paul, and yet Paul's sort of ambivalent about him. And in one one mention, he um, is a little bit hostile toward Barnabas. In another mention, he's sort of ambivalent. It's just like part of the story doesn't praise him, or um, it's sort of like neutral. He doesn't um, praise him or diss on him. And then in the last one, he's praising Barnabas. So that sort of washes out to ambivalence. What that tells me is that the story of their conflict, while worthy to be mentioned in the scriptures, um, it was not the changing event in their life. It was not the biggest thing in their life. What, what, what it tells me is that the biggest thing in their life was their encounter with Jesus. Right? Was that what, what turned their life upside down was not this conflict, though it was embattered, battered, whatever that word is. What turned their world upside down was their encounter with Jesus. So for all of us that might be in the midst of conflict, that is not the biggest thing in your life. I hope not. The biggest thing in your life should be your encounter with Jesus. Remember just last week we were talking about how Jesus continues to show up in our life. That's what, that's why we preach this resurrection message, right? That Jesus continues to show up in our life. That we are a people that believe in resurrection, new life, and that Jesus will be there with us in it. So Jesus' resurrection means that there is space to love our friends and still be in conflict with them. So like Justice Scalia and Ginsburg, who were bound together by their love of the law, we are bound together by the resurrection of Jesus. As a Christian community, as people of God, we are bound together through our baptismal covenant. We had a baptism in the first service today, so you all don't get to witness that. I'm sorry. But we are, we are bound together in our baptismal covenant that adopts us into this family of God. You can't get more connected than to be part of the body of Christ, right? And so this identity as a child of God and, and being able to see other people as children of God, that is what allows us to share in conflict and not be destroyed by it. Not take it so personally that when somebody speaks against us, we have to say that, that we hope they rot in hell when they die. Right? Because we are rooted into this greater identity as God's children, as God's beloved. We can rest in that identity. So just this week, there's so many ways to deal with conflict, and one of them, a very popular way, is to run, right? To avoid it. 
Raise your hand or say amen if you love to avoid conflict. Amen. Yeah. But that's also not what the scripture shows us, right? Just this week, I, I got to have a really uncomfortable conversation. Would it have been so much better if I didn't say anything? Well, yes, but no, right? Would it have been better, here's a way, would it have been better for me if I could have just texted what I was thinking? It would have probably been easier, but I might have said things that I regretted on the text message. Would it have been easier if I could have just written an email? Or complained to my friends about the situation? Yes, but no. No. So what I did is I um, had this conversation, and before it, I um, I was listening to my music and sort of, come on, God, you gotta be, you gotta show up in this place because it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard. And so, did I leave that conversation? Was the conversation hard? It was. There was a point where, yeah. It was hard. Did I leave that conversation with a new best friend? No. But I left that conversation with a partner in ministry, someone who I know God loves and who is committed to serve Christ in this world, to serve me even, and me to serve him. Did I leave that conversation grounded in that call and thankful for a colleague in ministry? Yes. Now, I can tell you about this body of Christ thing. I can tell you how great it is. But what I want you to do, um, and that we're all bound together, what I want you to do actually right now is see it. Can you go ahead and look around the room? Is there anybody in this room, and you don't have to raise your hand. This can be anonymous. Is there anybody in this room that you've had conflict with in the past? Or maybe you have conflict with right now? Don't everybody look at me, okay? (laughs) Probably yes. We're a messy bunch, y'all. We're a messy bunch of people. I want you to look around the room again. You know what I see? I see a room full of people who have promised out of their baptismal covenant, who have promised to seek, and these are in the, it is in the baptismal covenant, these words, have promised to seek and serve Jesus and each and every human being. You see that when you look around? Now, we didn't promise in our baptismal covenant to believe all the same things. And so conflicts can even just arise in, like, how we're living out our faith. But what we have promised is to seek and serve Jesus in each and every human being that we come across. Isn't that beautiful? And messy? So it's this promise. It's this promise to seek and serve Jesus in every human being that we come across, that we can root ourselves into, that we can 
have faith, it will bind us together as the body of Christ. And it is this promise that is stronger than any conflict that we can come across. Thanks be to God. Amen.